Hello and welcome back to pay-per-view in 2021. This is just a random segment. I'm going to talk about a couple of articles. This is not a whole episode. These are going to be more frequent this year. I've decided whenever I want to jump on and record something, I will. So this is a recent article in the Daily Mail where 575,000 COVID hospitalizations preventable simply through diet and exercise. Two-thirds of people hospitalized for COVID were obese or had diabetes, high blood pressure, or heart failure, study finds. Americans with four conditions, obesity, diabetes, mellitus, high blood pressure, and heart failure, account for two-thirds of all COVID-19 hospitalizations in America, a new study estimates. The Tufts University researchers note that many instances of these conditions are preventable, and those hospitalizations would likely have been too. Notably, the study does not distinguish between type 1 and type 2 diabetes among hospitalized COVID-19 patients. While type 2 diabetes typically develops later and is thought to be predominantly driven by lifestyle factors, type 1 is an autoimmune disease with significant genetic risk factors and is less likely to be preventable. The study suggests that up to two-thirds of 906,849 hospitalizations for COVID-19, or about 575,000 of them, were attributable to the four conditions and could have been prevented if those patients had not already been in poor health. In a more measured estimation, the Tufts researchers write that a 10% reduction in rates of the four conditions can lead to an 11% reduction in COVID-19 hospitalizations. People who have these conditions will get priority access to coronavirus vaccines, but the shots come too late to spare hundreds of thousands of people from hospitalization for COVID-19 and likely thousands from dying of the infection. The researchers urge doctors to not only advise their at-risk patients to get COVID-19 vaccines, but make changes to their diet and exercise habits to protect them. to protect themselves from the virus. We know that changes in diet quality alone, even without weight loss, rapidly improve metabolic health within just six to eight weeks. It's crucial to test such lifestyle approaches for reducing severe COVID-19 infections, both for this pandemic and future pandemics likely to come, said Dr. Darius Mozafarian, lead author and dean of the Friedman School at Tufts. More than 70 million Americans are obese and 68 million have high blood pressure. More than 34 million have diabetes, and 88 million are on the cusp of becoming diabetic. Although genetics play a role in these conditions, a study published in January found that fitness and diet are better predictors of who will develop the crippling metabolic disease. Even before the pandemic, obesity and the inflammation that comes with it was considered a top risk factor for chronic disease and early death in America, where diets tend to be high in fat and red meat. It became clear in the first spring wave of the pandemic in the US that inflammation was a killer in the context of COVID-19 too. In fact, scientists discovered that the out-of-control inflammatory response to coronavirus infection was what ultimately led to the deaths of many COVID-19 sufferers. Tens of millions of Americans with obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes and heart disease were warned to stay home and away from others to protect them from severe infection and death. But if rates of these conditions have been lowered to begin with, the burden on U.S. hospitals and the death toll in the U.S. 
now well above half a million, might have been partially averted. By November, nearly 19 million Americans had been hospitalized for COVID-19, according to the data analyzed by the Tufts researchers. Of those, 30% were attributable to obesity, according to the study authors. The researchers attributed another 26% to high blood pressure, 21% to diabetes, and 12% to heart disease. While newly authorized COVID-19 vaccines will eventually reduce infections, we have a long way to go to get to that point, said Dr. Mazafarian. Our findings score for interventions to determine whether improving cardiometabolic health will reduce hospitalizations, morbidity, and healthcare strains from COVID-19. Then there's this article. This is in The Independent, again, recently. Not a single case of flu detected by Public Health England this year as COVID restrictions suppress virus. Not a single case of influenza has been detected by public health officials in England for the past seven weeks, with infection rates at historic lows amid the ongoing COVID-19 restrictions. The social restrictions brought into curb transmission of the virus, combined with increased uptake of the flu vaccine, have both been credited with driving down infections. Thousands of swab samples are processed and analysed by scientists at Public Health England every week to survey the prevalence of different respiratory diseases in the population. By the way, you know one of the tests they use to test for flu is the PCR test. The same test they're using to test for COVID-19 that cannot test for COVID-19. I talk about that test in detail in episode 76. The article continues, but of the 685,243 samples that have been reviewed at PHE's laboratories since the first week of January, not a single one has tested positive for influenza. In the week up to 31st of December 2020, just one case of flu was confirmed by laboratory analysis. Dr. Vanessa Saliba, head of flu at PHE, told The Independent, decrease in flu cases this year is likely due to changes in our behaviour such as social distancing, face coverings and hand washing, as well as the reduction in international travel. I'll come back to that in a minute. In England, more than 15 million people receive the flu jab every year, which helps protect them from flu and also stops them spreading it to others. This season's immunisation programme is on track to be the most successful ever with the highest levels of vaccine uptake recorded for those 65 years and over two and three-year-olds and healthcare workers. That alone won't explain the decrease in flu cases because people get vaccinated every year for flu and lots of people get affected by the flu in normal years. PHG runs nationwide surveillance of influenza all year round and produces a weekly report on the virus and other respiratory illnesses between October and April to capture activity during peak flu season. Separate data gathered by the Royal College of General Practitioners Research and Surveillance Centre has shown that the rates of influenza-like symptoms stood at 0.5 to 1.3 per 100,000 persons for December, well below the five-year average for this time of year. The five-year average. With widespread social distancing and mask-wearing measures in place throughout the UK, the usual routes of transmission for influenza have been blocked. But, I'll get to the but in a minute. The virus has a natural R rate of 1.3 to 1.5 depending on the strain. In comparison, the basic R value for SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, is estimated to be around 2.5 to 3. This means influenza is far less infectious and easily spread than coronavirus, helping to further explain its low prevalence in the UK population. What about every other year? Such trends have raised the need to reconsider the country's approach to dealing with influenza, according to Christina Pagel, 
a professor of operational research at University College London. There's been no flu season anywhere in the world this year, including the UK, she told The Independent. Anywhere in the world. Flu is one of the big reasons that the NHS struggles every winter. But what I think is really interesting is that people say we live with flu deaths every year and kind of assume they were unavoidable, yet clearly they're not. If we wanted to, we've shown we can reduce flu deaths to pretty much zero. I don't think the damage we've done through lockdown is anything that anyone would support to prevent flu, but it does bring into question the idea of whether there is anything we can do. She said that hand sanitizers should be kept available in all shops and transport hubs for the years to come and argued it is worth encouraging people to wear masks on public transport and in other busy environments during the winter months. I don't know if it's the social distancing or the mask wearing that's done it, but I think we should at least be having those conversations, Professor Paggle added. You don't need to be a professor to work out what's done it, but she is a professor and she can't. But she's an expert. Well, listen to the experts like her. Another thing, especially in Britain, is this attitude that if you're sick, you still go into work. We need to change that. We've shown that a lot of people can work remotely. I think it's an unintended consequence of COVID that we've realised flu is not this unavoidable threat that we thought it was. Influenza vaccination rates have meanwhile reached new heights throughout the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. According to the latest PHE data, 80.8% of people aged over 65 in England have received the latest flu jab. Professor Pagel said the health inequalities highlighted by COVID-19 are also applicable to flu and that a joint approach to improving the quality of care in England's most deprived communities would help to reduce widespread infections for both diseases. The other thing COVID is highlighting is how big the impact of inequalities on health, she said. We've seen it with COVID in BAME and deprived communities. They have much more exposure to COVID and get sicker when they get it. Flu has a very similar gradient. The more deprived you are, the more likely you'll get sick from flu. Dr. Stephen Griffin, a virologist at the University of Leeds, said it was unclear whether flu cases would surge later this year after being subdued over the recent winter months. Hopefully some of the good habits in relation to social distancing and hygiene might help again in the future as well, he told The Independent. Professor Griffin warned there could be an issue in terms of surveillance and vaccine development. If there's very little flu circulating, it's harder to predict which strains might be dominant and so need to be incorporated into the vaccine, he added. So I'm just going to point out a few key points here and contradictions. If two-thirds of COVID hospitalizations were preventable simply through diet and exercise, were they really COVID? Were they really a deadly virus? Or were they obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure and heart failure labelled as COVID? One of the problems is regular appointments, consultations and treatments were cancelled and everything was COVID. In episode 77, I talk about the fact that consultations and appointments for cancer, heart disease and diabetes, as well as for other illnesses, dropping in number compared to previous years. A government policy document, UK government, entitled COVID-19 Hospital Discharge Service Requirement, back in March, ordered the NHS to discharge 15,000 patients. 15 anticipating that half of these would need support from health and social care. And the document applied to all NHS trusts, community interest companies and private care providers of acute community beds and community health services and social care staff in England. 
The document also set out requirements around discharge for health and social care commissioners, including clinical commissioning groups and local authorities. Now, those people were originally in hospital for a reason. They needed care and treatment. UK government policy around death diagnosis states that anyone testing positive with a test which can't test for the virus. And again, I recommend checking out episode 76 on that because the PCR test has been absolutely central to this whole situation. Anyone testing positive with a test which can't test for the virus and dying within 28 to 60 days of any cause, including being hit by a bus, it's happened, is recorded as a COVID death. In terms of flu, I love it when they say flu has dropped to zero or near zero because people are following COVID rules. And then we're told that in the same period, COVID cases are rising because people are not following COVID rules. We're told that cases are dropping massively now just as they bring the vaccine in. And I explained that in episode 78. But up until this point, flu has dropped massively while COVID cases keep rising, which makes no sense because what has happened, and Professor Pagel and her colleagues might take note, is that flu has been redesignated COVID-19. Just bear this in mind. Governments around the world have been imposing draconian fascism and locking down their country, and in some cases parts of their country. And destroying people's businesses, lives, livelihoods and mental health, including children, on the basis that people are not following COVID rules and cases are rising. So they need to impose these rules to protect people and try to drop the cases. When at the same time, we're being told flu has dropped to basically zero because people are following COVID rules. When you look at this from a detached perspective, it's very clear that this whole pandemic is nothing more than a mathematical administrative hoax.